0: Today on this edition of the Forest City Church Podcast, Eric Parks continues the teaching series, The Road to Christmas, with a message titled, Shepherds? Merry Christmas. So, no, you're supposed to say Merry Christmas back to me. That's how, Merry Christmas. Okay, I think, I think based on that response, you might be game for a game. Are we up for a little um, uh, participation, audience participation. Now listen, for those that are introverted and your hands just started sweating because you're like, oh my gosh, he's gonna make me talk to somebody. I'm not gonna make you talk to anybody. You're gonna sit right in your space, but I'm gonna need your help because I'm gonna point to you in just a minute. I'm gonna have you repeat a phrase when I point to you. And the phrase is, that's messed up. Really, really simple. So let's practice real quick. One, two, three. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. All right. So I was, um, I don't know if you've ever been wandering through our community, driving down State Street or somewhere in the city, and you've seen a local business sign where I don't know if maybe whoever they put out there to put up the sign just didn't quite get it right, but you've driven, driven by and gone, man, that's messed up right? Well, I, I I pulled a few signs that, oh uh, no, well, thank you. Some of you are really excited. Good job. I love the excitement. So, okay. Sign number one. Sign number one. Ice cold bear. Not working for me. Good. Okay. Here's the next sign. Yep. See, SpongeBob is hiring managers. Sure is. All right. Give me another sign. Here's one. Oh, um, <laughs> So sad, You're, you are now beyond hope. That is messed up. Give me one more here. Um, this one's not a sign, but are you kidding me? I'm not even gonna point to you. Cause That's straight messed up. <laughs> All right, here's the last one. Please use tongue or tissue. Folks, I'm not eating those bagels, cuz. That's messed up. You know, um, there are, there. Th- this last one. There's actually one more, but I'm not going to show you a picture. I'm going to read you a verse. A verse that maybe when I start, you're not going to understand why this is messed up. But I promise you, it is. If you have your Bibles. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. A story, a verse... All of us, whether you're part of the church or not, I promise you you're familiar with because this is how it reads. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flock at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news. I bring you good news. That will cause great joy for all the people. Because today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign to you. You find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. Then the angel Or when the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. This is messed up. Now, I know on the surface, for so many of us, we know the Christmas story and we've heard the Christmas verse. In fact, you've probably seen this verse in all kinds of public places, right? When we look at Christmas so often, my fear, the great fear I have is that we have this idea about Christmas that is very much like beautiful lights and this wonderful major scene, but we miss what was actually happening. And while I love all the Christmas lights, which, by the way, didn't the team do a great job putting up all the lights in the mall? Yeah, it was really pretty. They did really great. I love it. I love it. I love that. But there's something else going on here. This birth announcement, I'm telling you, this is messed up. Now, uh, as you all know, I have this um, right now. I'm taking a break from social media, um, and um, I encourage all of you to you know, do the same thing because it's good for your soul, good for your soul. But you know, social media has done some interesting things to us. I, I, I think oftentimes, because of how much, how quickly we have access to everybody el- else's life, um, we start to compare and contrast often, right? Like what they have, what they do. I, I, I think it plays out in some interesting ways, like in the way that people feel a pressure for things like um, when they're proposing, right? I mean, proposals are a thing. Like it's a whole thing. You gotta do a whole thing, like helicopters and I mean, because you see other people doing it, and if I don't do that thing, I must not love my girl as much as that fellow loved his. Or the latest, at least the one I've been noticing, is birth announcements. I mean back in the day, we just called. Hey mom, go have a baby. It's really great. Okay, see you later. You know what I'm saying? It was maybe a little bit more than that, but now there's these elaborate things that are tied to birth announcements, like balloons with colors in them or cake that you cut open and you'd find out. Like, it's a gender reveal party. It turns into a thing, right? And as I think about it, it's good reason. Like, those of you that are parents, you know, there's nothing like having your children. There's nothing like it. And so these birth announcements, it's pretty natural to get excited. These are important things. Now think about this. God is making the biggest, most anticipated announcement in history, right? In this verse, he's letting... People know he's sending his son to the planet for what would be the most momentous event that the earth has ever seen. It's so momentous, it literally breaks time in two. This is huge stuff. People have been praying for thousands of years for this moment. And God gathers some people around and he makes his announcement. That the Savior, the Messiah, this thing you've been praying for, that your grandfather's grandfather's grandfather has been telling, begging, praying as families. This is discussion points. He gathers some people to make an announcement, and the people he gathers are shepherds. Now, on the surface, like lots of us were like, so what? I see shepherds all the time. Well, at least I do in the nativity scenes and they have nicely ironed robes and the really nice staffs with the perfect curl. I mean, shepherds are like what? Ranchers. They're probably rich, right? This is like our cultural context. But see, if I think, I think if you don't really understand a shepherd, you miss how messed up this is. You see, shepherds in Jesus' day were most often... Illiterate hirelings. They didn't own those sheep or those animals. No, 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 no. They were illiterate. They looked after the property of someone else. These were destitute people most often. This this job was like at the bottom, bottom. And, And it isn't just that the job was at the bottom. The reality was that most people thought of shepherds as degenerates. Oh, Make no mistake, if you're a shepherd, people wouldn't let you in the town. They didn't want your kind in their town. They were afraid shepherds were thieves and murderers, that they would rob them, change their way of life. They didn't want these people in the town. Being a shepherd was like a character flaw. There were people who considered shepherds godless, just like they would like tax collectors, murderers, and thieves. Shepherds, these were shepherds. These are who these people are. They weren't allowed to worship in the temple. The outer court was the best they could do. And so you have to understand, think in your mind for a second. Just just in your mind. Who's the most undesirable group you can think of? Just for you. Who, who's the group that if they came into our church, you'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. If they walked into your house, you'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. The shepherds are the ones you're like, don't let your marry, don't let your daughters marry shepherds, right? See, this is a shepherd. They're bottom, bottom, bottom of the social wrong. And so why this is so messed up? is because Jesus' people were desperate people. This is a huge deal. Like, when you think about the Jewish people at the time that Jesus comes onto the scene, you have to understand the oppression that they had been living under for literally centuries. To be exact, since 597 B.C., when the Babylonians came and sacked Jerusalem and then carried all the Judeans off into slavery, since that point to this one, they had been living under some sort of oppression. Somebody's boot on their throat. Their culture was bound up. Their identity was bound up. And at the time of Jesus' birth, over 8 million Jews lived under Roman occupation. And Roman occupation was awful. Romans considered Jews to be godless because they didn't worship Roman gods. They thought they were weird Goofy people because they had their own customs of not eating unclean food and how they gathered together. The Romans looked on to them and thought, these are strange, weird people. The Jews, their only way out of what has been years and years and years of oppression is a Savior. They need a Messiah. This isn't like some neat Christmas thing. No, no, no. This is unlocking their freedom liberating their culture, their ideas, their faith, literally their entire identity. So when a Jew is thinking of God's kingdom coming, the birth announcement matters a ton. N.T. Wright, who's a famous theologian, writes about what these first century Jews would have been thinking when he says, when they longed for the kingdom of God, They were not thinking about how to secure themselves a place in heaven after they died. The phrase kingdom of heaven, which we find frequently in Matthew's gospel, where others have kingdom of God, it does not refer to a place called heaven where God's people will go after death. It refers to a rule of heaven, that is, of God coming down, being brought to bear in that present world right there in Rome. Jesus' contemporaries knew that the creator God intended to bring justice. This is what they had been praying for for centuries. And peace, the question was how, when, with whom. This is what they longed for. It was everything. It dominated every conversation, every social circle. It was in everybody's mind all the time. When will we be free? When will we taste freedom? When will we get out of here When will the Messiah come? You know, I I, I thought a lot about us as human beings. I think about what is it so often in our lives that causes the greatest amount of pain and disappointment? Like if you think about any disappointment you've had in your life, what's the source of that? And while oftentimes there are multiple sources, what I've come to understand about us as humans is there's nothing more disappointing in a marriage, in a friendship, in a work environment, in a church, than for you to expect something to happen and for it not to live up. When there is a gap between what I expect to happen and how it actually plays out, I'm telling you, there is so much pain in that disappointment because I expected it to be this way. I expected to get pregnant. I didn't expect to get divorced, right? When the expectation and what actually happened doesn't match up, that's where the angst comes from. And the truth is we experience in large levels and small levels every day. I experienced just the other day. I love my son, Harry. He's 14. But I had an expectation about what I meant when I said, go to the basement and clean it up. I said, son, I need you to go clean the basement. It's a hot mess down there. Okay, dad, I'm on it. He's such a fun, wonderful kid. He goes down the stairs, he comes hopping back up. I'm done, dad. And off he goes. And so I'm like, I'm gonna go down here and check because, you know, a responsibility without accountability is a bad idea. So I go downstairs and I look down the basement and I'm like, wait where, what is his definition of cleaned up? So I'm called upstairs. I'm like, Harrison, get downstairs. He comes downstairs. He goes, what? I go, bro, I asked you to clean up the basement. He goes, he looked at me like I was crazy. He's like, what are you talking about? I cleaned up the basement. I'm like, son, literally almost everything that was on the floor, every Nerf gun bullet, half of the trash. He goes, dad, 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 dad. I picked up most of the trash and some of the bullets. I'm like, that's not cleaning up the basement. He goes, well, it is to me. See, this is how it works with expectations. The biggest disappointment is when we have an expectation of what's going to happen and when it doesn't actually happen that way. And you have to know that in the first century, they had an expectation about how their freedom was going to come. And I got to tell you right now, it was not through some baby born in a manger announced to a bunch of hoodlums. No, 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 no. These people, they're like, when the Messiah comes, he's coming with some thunder. He's going to come liberate us. He's coming with a sword. He's coming like Psalm 72, 9 where the desert tribes bowed down to him and his enemies licked the dust. Man, when you've been under somebody's boots, enemies licking dust sounds real good. I want some enemies to lick some, eat some dust. Go to dust, right? We get dark. This is how these Jews would feel. So the idea that he would be announced to some, some of the lowest social creatures on the cultural ladder is absolutely unfathomable. Then you add all the other things. Add the fact that Jesus was poor, that he came from poverty. They're like, whoa, no, 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 no. Well, we know he was poor. His family, couldn't, his family couldn't afford a lamb for the sacrifice at the temple. They offered two pairs of doves instead. And then you double down on this. He comes from Galilee. Now the Bible tells us in John chapter seven, it says no prophet had ever arisen from Galilee and there's good reason. See, most people thought Galilee to be this backwaters place that produced a bunch of bumpkins. That's it. Like, if you came from Galilee, most people look down on you. Like, you, you're just sort of like dumb. You, and you chop it off. If you, if you came from Galilee, you had a thick accent. Scholars will tell you that the way that which Galileans spoke Hebrew made them instantly identifiable. Everybody knew you came from Galilee. So as soon as you opened your mouth, people were like, "Oh, ooh, gross! Don't talk to me." Right? In fact, scholars think this is how Peter's so easily identified. Like you fast forward when he's out in the courtyard and he betrays Jesus. How did they know? Because he spoke with this accent. They're like, "Oh, he must be with the Galilean." You add these things together, you start to realize. Just as Philip Yancey puts it in one of his books, from the perspective of the religious power base, in Jerusalem, Galilee, Jesus, this birth, these people that got the announcement, this seems like the most unlikely place for a Messiah, the most unlikely situation for a Savior to come out of. There's no way, right? Right? So then, what is God up to then? I mean, you have to ask yourself, if this is the birth story, which we know it to be, what then is God trying to do? Because what God could have done is he could have gathered a bunch of dignitaries, a bunch of rich folks, put them in a room, been like, you know Jesus comes down he could have been born to royalty could have had a a beautiful robe the, the most perfect crib like he could have been born triumphant but that isn't what happened doesn't it make you think why why is that what's God trying to say I read this and I thought it so perfectly, perfectly describes maybe what God was up to. When Philip Yancey writes, I went even as I write the word, especially in connection with Jesus. It's a crude word, probably derived from dogfighting and applied over time to predictable losers and victims of injustice. Yet as I read the birth stories about Jesus, I cannot help but conclude that though the world may be tilted toward the rich and the powerful, God, through all this evidence, is tilted toward the underdog. There are many places in our world, very few places in Jesus' time, tilted toward the underdog. Not many places in our society staffed by, catered to, the underdog. But this is is what God is trying to help us see. And you know, there is something in us. When we start to wrap our minds around underdog stories that does rise up, come on, you know it you know some of your favorite movies are those movies where someone wasn't supposed to win and they did, they came from the wrong place, didn't have enough money, right? And they somehow rise up. Aren't those stories the ones we often gravitate to? I remember 1983, the first time I realized that we cheer for underdogs. These stories, these stories, these underdog stories, we gravitate towards them. It was the NCAA tournament, I would have been 10 years old. And there was this team out of North Carolina called North Carolina State. Now, if you don't know anything about the the basketball tournament that happens in March, it's a 64-team tournament, it's a few more teams than that now, but 64-team tournament that decides the national championship of all of college basketball. And if you're ranked high, one, two, three, you're good. If you're ranked low, 10, 11, 12, 13, you're not so good. Well, NC State, I want to believe that year may have been ranked 11. So they're like on the bottom end and somehow they go on this improbable run and they find themselves in the national championship facing off, again, I'm, I'm doing this from memory. I should have done some research, I didn't. I think it was uh, Georgetown and they were, they were playing uh, Patrick Ewing. I think Ewing was on that team. Charmant's gonna look it up. Um, either way, they were not supposed to win And they did. Jimmy Valvano comes running down. You've seen it. Oh, he's running down the court. He doesn't even know where he's at. And I remember as a kid going, oh, oh, yes, oh, yes. I rooted for that team for a decade. And you want to know why? Because all of us have spots in our life where we feel like outsiders. And when you see somebody that's an outsider that triumphs, you're like, oh, then there's hope for me. You're like, well, what, what are you, an outsider? Well, look, I was 10 years old. I was like this scrawny, bony-kneed, not particularly popular, almost break-if-the-wind-blows-the-wrong-way kind of kid. I wasn't hanging out, getting girlfriends and such, right? I was just kind of a nerdy, goofy, skinny, felt like an outsider, like lots of kids in getting to junior high do. You just feel awkward. And when I saw NC State, I went, "Oh, oh, maybe I can win." They did. They they did. I think we love these stories because every single one of us, most of us, have something, some moment when we felt like we were outside of the circle. Maybe yours is a physical disability or something with mental illness. Maybe it's the color of your skin. Maybe it's your gender. There's all of us who have felt like outsiders for whatever reason, like we'll never get to be a part of that thing in there. And from the jump, you know what Jesus was trying to do, right? God was trying to say, oh, 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 I'm building a different kind of place. And it's not just at the, the birth announcement. It's not, you, you, look at this. You want to talk about an underdog story? This makes NC State's story pale in comparison. Think about this. Unwed mother, homeless, forced to look for shelter while traveling to meet heavy taxation from a colonial government. This is Jesus' story. They lived in a land recovering from violent wars. War-torn spot. Then, she bears the son. They become refugees, illegal immigrants in Africa. This is the story of Jesus. Her and her sons on the run hunted, and I, I imagined the other day, at any point was she going, How does an underdog story like this, how is this the savior? How is this the savior? It's because that's exactly the kingdom he came to set up. See. Then Jesus just carried it on, right? He just carried it on. Look at everybody he hung with, his crew. Bunch of shepherds, a bunch of fishermen who had no. Education, not very smart. Had a few tax. Co- had a tax collector who was absolutely just as bad as a shepherd in terms of how people saw them. This is who Jesus hung out with in his crew, and then people would whisper, "Why is it that he's always like sitting around with these these, these people?" Right? That's how. That's that's what the inside says about the outside. These people. Why is he always sitting with these people? tax collectors and sinners. Why is he hanging out with all these underdogs? And this is what he did. He he would minister to the poor, the sick, the disabled, the leopards, the blinds, the insane, the demon-possessed, the widows, orphans, runaways, castaways. This was Jesus' ministry. And then he says it in Luke chapter 4 when he says, look, the Spirit of the Lord, it has come upon me because he's anointed me to do what? Preach the gospel to the poor the underdog he sent me to heal the brokenhearted the outsider to proclaim liberty to the captives those who have been oppressed to recover sight to the blind to set liberty those who are oppressed underdogs folks it's the whole story and you see the announcement set the stage For what God was going to do. That though the world may be tilted toward the rich and the powerful, Jesus and his kingdom, it is tilted toward the underdog. God's establishing a new kind of kingdom. From the birthplace down. A kingdom that... Jesus was establishing wasn't built on money or power. He was establishing a kingdom nobody can imagine. And even this day, some of us hear it and we go, is that really true? If you've ever felt like an underdog, Jesus came for you. This sign, you see, it was kind of messed up, but in a really beautiful way. Jesus and his kingdom tilted toward the underdog. See, this is the good news. Because let me tell you something. If you've ever been counted out because of the way that you look, because you don't quite fit in. If you've ever been on the outside, I'm telling you what, it's awesome news to know there is a kingdom where you belong. Let me just say, the reason why we hang that sign up there, anyone and everyone, it's not because we're trying to be fancy or politically correct, because that's the kingdom that I see. I don't know how you do it any other way. So you can get mad at me. I'm just saying, if he he's for the underdog, me too then. I'm for the underdog. That's what I'm for. Because he is. This is what Jesus says, and I love it. He says in the Matthew 11, he says, hey, listen, underdogs, come to me. All you who are weary, underdogs, come to me. Let me those that carry heavy burdens, come to me. And what am I going to do? I'm going to give you rest. Folks, that is Not good news. That's unbelievable, unfathomable news. That the God of the universe, if you're an underdog, he's for you. That his kingdom is for you. And if you've ever felt like an underdog, here's the greatest news. If you've ever felt alone, Jesus came for you. If you've ever felt abandoned, he came for you. If you've ever felt left out, counted out, knocked out, or kicked out, He came for you. It wasn't messed up. It was a sign for anyone who was in desperate need of someone to save them. People like me and people like us. It's the greatest sign of all that Jesus came for people like us and that this Christmas, we can know that Jesus be included in that kingdom. Amen. You've been listening to Eric Parks with the message Shepherds which is part of the series The Road to Christmas Thanks for listening